New to Medicare? Start now. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to learn about some of the top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including plans for $0 a month in plan premiums, low out-of-pocket costs, and expansive provider networks. If you're thinking about a Medicare Advantage plan, MyHealthPolicy.com is a great place to go to find a plan that meets your needs. Learn more about your options. Even talk with a licensed insurance agent. MyHealthPolicy.com. New to Medicare? Go to MyHealthPolicy.com. With MyHealthPolicy.com, you can compare plans from some of the nation's top insurers. Start now to find a plan and apply online. MyHealthPolicy.com makes it easy to find a Medicare Advantage plan in your area, including plans for $0 a month in plan premiums, low out-of-pocket costs, and expansive provider networks. My decision, my Medicare. MyHealthPolicy.com It's a beautiful morning. The birds are chirping. The sun is shining. And you're listening to... Breakfast with Rosie. Next up, some smooth jazz on your drive to unemployment. What the fuck? <laughs> I know it's mean to say you're green, but you gots to leave WWE. You're not fit to be the shit, so stay at home and make my grits. <laughs> That's the first verse. If anybody's looking for a new co-host for any radio <laughs> show, I'm available. Good evening, wrestling fans, entertainment fans. This is Anthony of wrestling-news.com. I want to thank you very much for listening tonight. Oh, how I had no idea that the wrestling world was filled with atheists. Dixie, you are forgiven. Hi, I'm Kermit D. Frog. I am the new GM for Raw. NXT! NXT! Yay! Get the fuck out of here. Go into the TNA Impact Zone with one of those metal detector wands. And when Hogan comes out to cut his promo and he's doing the air guitar, just turn the fucking thing on. (laughs) Since youngins do listen, some of you youngins out there do listen, I think it's a little bit too inappropriate to be using the word cunt on this show. People out there, remind me in a little while the word Hindu. That's how the shows go. If you're new to the show, whatever comes to my mind, that's what I say. (laughs) <laughs> uh, total non-stop Anthony That's what you got tonight Total non-stop Anthony Total non-stop Anthony Total non-stop Anthony I guess the man's man Wanted to make history this week eh? Made history Unbelievable And please Do not think That I am talking about William Regal When I reference Man's man We are obviously talking about the man's man, Seth Rollins, who is dating the man. But I guess we could kind of tweak William Regal's entrance music to accommodate Seth Rollins because he made history this week. You know, I guess to William Regal's music, and yes, I suck at singing, but he's a man, such a man. He's a real, real, real low ratings man's man. Congratulations.
congratulations, Seth Rollins. You have headlined now the lowest-rated Raw and the lowest-rated SmackDown in history. Unbelievable. And you know what? You look at Raw's ratings, the worst ratings of all time. You know, uh, Kofi, you're not too far behind. You're not too far behind. I think the second or third lowest Raw rating in history was Seth Rollins and Kofi teaming up to take on the bar. The bar. So you ain't too far out of the woods, Kofi. But I know what a lot of you are saying. You can't blame Seth Rollins. He's one of the best performers in the company, and I agree 100%. Seth Rollins is arguably the most talented man on the WWE roster. You might put AJ Styles and Finn Balor very close two and three, or you could interchange any of those three. And there are other talents as well, Cesaro and others. I'm not taking that away from anybody else. But the reason why I say this is what I have said many times over the years, and I've said this a few times in the last six, seven months. If you're not gonna put some of the blame on Seth Rollins for the lowest ratings ever, then you can't put the blame on Kevin Nash for the downtrodden uh, revenue in the WWF in 95. I mean, that was the one thing that pissed me off. I, I've been doing this since 1997. I go back to hotlines in 97 doing this shit. I'm approaching my 23rd year. And you know what it's like in 1997, which we're right smack in the middle of the Monday Night War, you know, to have everybody and their goddamn mother blaming Kevin Nash for the horrible ratings and revenue and house show attendance and all this other stuff with WWF in the mid-90s. No, you blame it on WWF. Just like you're not going to blame Nash for 95, mid-90s, you're not going to blame Seth Rollins now. I am not blaming Seth Rollins at all. Of course, he bears some of the responsibility because he is the current WWE Universal Champion. But at the end of the day, this is all on WWE. You know, next week's history show, uh, I found a clip that, you know, trying to find material for next week's show. And I found a clip of promo that Paul Heyman cut It's either four or five years ago. When I play that promo next week, I want you to think about everything I just said as you listen to that promo. Because the promo being cut is Paul Heyman with Brock Lesnar in the middle of the ring, and they're cutting the promo on Seth Rollins. And you could take that very exact promo, just taking out references of the authority, and you could put it on Monday Night Raw this week, and you wouldn't be able to tell the difference. That is not the first time we've brought up stuff like that. WWE is recycling shit for three, four, five years. And there's something called insanity. They're trying to do the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. And look, I don't mean to sound like an asshole, but Roman Reigns, if he didn't get stricken with leukemia and he's been on TV all of this time, Lord knows what his reaction would be right now with the crowd. Roman Reigns is a good guy. I'm not saying this personally against him, but people forget for four fucking years what WWE was trying to do. And I will continue to say 
that Shane McMahon deserves a tremendous amount of credit right now because Shane McMahon has been able to do something that just about nobody on the WWE roster has been able to do. Make a clear-cut babyface and a clear-cut heel when it comes to feuding with Roman Reigns. They tried with so many different people. They tried it babyface with babyface, Cena and Reigns. They tried it heel. That whole disaster with Brock Lesnar. You got Brock Lesnar on Steve Austin's podcast saying, you know, look, you know, I, I go to work, I punch my clock, you know, figuratively, and I fucking do my job, and when I'm done, I go home. You know, I don't it, I don't live for wrestling. I don't, he honestly doesn't care. He does his job and he leaves. So we all knew that. So WWE puts it in a storyline as if we're supposed to think something else, and trust me, it blows my mind. To this day, how many podcasters were like, Brock Lesnar never shows up for work. Brock Lesnar never shows up for work. And you got to take the title off of him. He never shows up for work. What do you think? He stood home and refused to work? What do you expect him to show up at a fucking Raw where he's not advertised and not supposed to be there and say, no, 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 Vince, this one's on me. This is a freebie. For all the money you gave me. No, this is WWE's contract with him. I... I've said it a thousand times before. Any of you out there, if you went to your employer right now and said, look, we're going to pay you twice as much as what you made before. You only have to work 15 days out of the year. You mean to tell me you're not going to do that? So anyway, what's up, everyone? It is Thursday night. At Wednesday, Thursday, June 20th, 2019. Welcome to this edition of Breakfast with Blossy. I am Don Tony, as always. Thank you very much for listening. Now, I plan on getting two pounds of bologna shoved into a one-pound bag on this show. And for those out there that don't know what that means, I want to get this show done as quickly as possible. For the number one reason, you know, within three days, I'm going to be doing the recap for Stomping Grounds. No need to really get into that all that much. However, a lot of people really wanted me to do predictions. And I think I am going to do it on this episode for the simple reason that when you have the ratings as god-awful as they are right now, you almost feel like WWE has to make a drastic change. (laughs) Hopefully it's not putting the fucking belt on Baron Corbin, but there's got to be a drastic change. I have talked about the ratings forever. And, you know, the most uh, cool thing or the end thing to say for many, many years is, oh, the ratings don't matter. The ratings don't matter. The ratings don't matter. Oh, yes, they do matter. And, you know, you couldn't blame the NBA Finals to this week's ratings. You can't blame the NHL. You can't blame it to fucking presidential debates, terrorist acts, fucking season finales. You can't blame it on it. The bottom line is, People have decided to do other things than watch pro wrestling on Monday night and Tuesday nights. That's the bottom line. At record numbers. At record numbers. And, you know, for those that are going to say, well, you know what, there's Hulu and there's Netflix and this and that. Well, number one, that goes to what I just said, that fans are just choosing to do something else. Wrestling is no longer must-see TV. Must-see TV is, oh, I got to watch it as soon as it comes out. You know, there's a lot of fucking movies that I know a lot of you out there will stand in line for two, three hours to see because you got to see it right then and there. You got to be one of the first to see it. That's what wrestling used to be like. Couldn't wait to tune in to the next episode, whatever was on TV. And it's just not that anymore. And, you know, just to get back to NBA Finals on Breakfast Soup Live last Tuesday, I got into the ratings and the viewership for the NBA for the last 20 years compared to wrestling. And I challenge anyone, it's not hard to do, it's probably fine on Wikipedia. Just look up 
the viewership for the NBA Finals from 20 years to now. And what you will find is that several years now, the viewership is the same of what it was 20 years ago. Now, think about that. You know, you could say to me, well, it's live and it's playoffs. Sure. Well, it was 20 years ago. Explain to me why the viewership is almost the same as what it was 20 years ago because people have just decided wrestling is just not the must-see TV anymore. And that's a big problem, especially when you ink these big-time TV deals. You know, you hear Jericho and others saying, like, you know, if WWE doesn't improve, you can see a lot of wrestlers are going to want to leave to go to greener pastures. You know, it's not just um, happiness, you know, the, you, you, you work. How many of you out there work a job that you don't like all that much, but the pay is good? You know, yeah. I mean, there, it's not everybody's job is cake and ice cream. You know, but it's, it's harder for wrestlers because they're on the road 200 days a year. You know, they're away from their families. They have to travel tens of thousands of miles. You know, just think about the nutrition that because they got to grab a meal that sometimes they got to eat things that they really shouldn't be eating or they need to keep up their cardio working out. And because of the planes and all this and the driving that you got to just get into a gym for 20 minutes, you know, there's so much that these people go through. And I, I always remind people, when you see certain wrestlers that never go to WWE, it's not that... WWE didn't want them. It's not that the wrestlers couldn't make it, but not every single person in the world of pro wrestling can work that kind of schedule. You know, it's sometimes it's not healthy and there is a lot of pressure and there's a lot of pain. And I guess we could segue into, you know, the, the sad news that broke this week. And that is the death of Adrian McCallum also known as Lionheart. Now, I know for a lot of you in the United States right now, you're probably saying, who is that? Or you may say, you know, that name sounds familiar. Where did I hear that name from? Well, you know, I will admit, and I've said it the last couple of days to people online, uh, Adrian McCallum was not a wrestler that I really followed all that closely. He was a big star overseas, current ICW champion. And, um, you know, Talented wrestler, talented. And for the last couple of days, I kind of got a crash course in his work. And yes, I know some of the matches that he's wrestled in recent years, but never paid very close attention to it. Now, because he passed, yeah, I'm going to look. But for those that live in the United States, that the name sounds familiar, but you can't put your finger on it, these are probably the two... Uh, aspects of his career that you will say, oh yeah, okay, I remember. Number one, he was part of the TNA gut check challenge, say that fast 10 times, several years ago. That's where we first heard his name. Um, he has wrestled a lot of main event performers of today. But you may recall, shortly before AJ Styles signed with the WWE, there was a little bit of controversy online. And I will be the first to admit it, Myself and some of my fellow hosts were also part of this as well. You might recall AJ Styles right before he signed with WWE that there was a, a string of injuries that were related to the Styles clash. 
And we had some debates and discussions if the Styles Clash is too risky of a move, maybe it needs to be put on the shelf. There was also a lot of feeling that, you know, maybe AJ Styles is not executing it the right way, maybe because you get a little older, you know, you're off by a, a millisecond and you don't know. We're not in the ring, so we don't know. And yes, in hindsight, a lot of that was unfair towards AJ Styles' part because as you realize years later that all these injuries were really at the fault, sadly, of the person who took the move. And in the case of Adrian McCallum, he probably had the most, I hate to use the phrase this way, but the most memorable injury to the Styles Clash. And yes, we had other names who were more uh, well-known, but he tucked his head the wrong way. And you see the move executed, it is hard to watch whether he was alive and fully recovered today or if he was deceased. It is really like, you know, it's tough to watch that movie. Broke his neck in two different places. And for the last couple of years, this man has been obsessed to getting him to himself to 100%. And just because he was the current ICW champion and just because he is kicking ass overseas, didn't mean that he was 100%. And it's not just the physical, but it's the emotional. And the emotional is is a thousand times worse because in most cases, you can't detect it unless the person lets you in their heart just a little bit. When Ashley Mazzaro passed away, anybody that's a long-time listener knows I was not a fan. But the one thing that I went out of my way the last couple of weeks to, to bring to people's attention is that what I noticed is that a lot of our listeners, people that don't even listen to our show, wrestlers, you know, just anybody that met her at conventions, interacted with her on social media, sent her fan mail, nobody had a bad thing to say about her. In fact, a lot of people went out of their way before she died. Before she died, and that's the most important part of it, they went out of their way to say, wow, she was so cool, so friendly, you know, just really upbeat and smiling. And it's a shame that, you know, that she's not back in wrestling, you know, more and this and that. And what I had pointed out also is that, sadly, what we are realizing is that some of the brightest people online, and when I say bright, I don't mean education and smarts. I'm talking about the ones who smile the largest, the ones who seem like life is good, the ones who smile the most, in many cases, are the most depressed people out there. And it's like they try to cover up, try to convince themselves, try to bury that depression as much as they possibly can. And unfortunately, medication does work to a certain extent, but for a lot of people, it doesn't. And when you also factor in that you have some pretty serious injuries to deal with, you know, a lot of times you can't mix certain types of medication. And look, I talked to three people who wrestle overseas the last 24 hours that listen to the shows. And, you know, it pisses me off when I make comments like that, you know, off and on when necessary. It's people, some people out there immediately think that I'm trying to throw in their face that certain people that are famous listen to what I do. I got news for you. A lot of famous people listen to what a lot of podcasters do. I ain't nothing special. But, you know, I've been doing this since 1997. Wrestlers today that are 30 years old were seven when I started 
doing the hotlines and in the podcasting. So over the years, you, know, you interact with people and you become friendly. Not you hang out and have beers, but you become friendly online. And, you know, one in particular really wanted me uh, to pay a nice little tribute to him. And I'm like, you don't have to ask me. I was going to do it anyway. But he's filling me in a little bit on, you know, his battles privately, personally. A lot of battles that people didn't see. And, you know, if you see like what Drew McIntyre wrote and some people today, you know, they're, they're crushed, they're floored. And, you know, they hope to see them again one day soon. You know, not too soon, obviously, but, you know, I don't want to speculate that he committed suicide. But that is the uh, feeling, not only amongst social media and everybody online, but law enforcement as well, because they are investigating the death as suspicious. Not that somebody murdered him, but uh, under suspicious circumstances. It could have very well been an accidental overdose. The only problem with that is uh, of a tweet that he wrote online less than, what, 12 hours before he was deceased. And when I read this now, I know a lot of you out there get immediately think of the ultimate warrior, Jesus Christ. He's on Monday Night Raw. One day your heart's going to beat its final beat. And fucking 24 hours later, the ultimate warrior was dead. The difference here is that the ultimate warrior did not want to pass away, did not want to end it all. He died tragically. It's eerie. You go back and you watch that promo of the warrior and realize that he only had twenty less than 24 hours left to live. But think about this. Right now it is the 20th of June. On the 19th of June, not even 48 hours ago, uh, Adrian writes online, and I quote, one day you will eat your last meal. You will smell your last flower. You will hug your friend for the last time. You might not know it's the last time. That's why you must do everything you love with passion. And then he writes, hashtag afterlife. Now, it, it's it's just, look, yeah, that is uh, something that was taken from Ricky Gervais. But the point is, you write something like that and you're dead 12 hours later. Not even, I think. Uh, in fact, it could have been three or four hours. Um, that was a message and it is so fucking tragic. And all I could say is that to everyone out there who is mourning his passing, friends, family, fellow wrestlers, even those out there that may not have known much about him, but just, you know, are very down because of tragedy. You know, my thoughts are with everybody out there. And I, again, I know that there's a lot of you out there, you know, unless the name ends in Reigns or Cena or, or Balor or Jericho or, you know, Rhodes, you know, oh, why are you spending so much time? Because this is actually a, a big time tragedy. And you know what? Even if he was not that famous and big overseas, it's still a very sad tragedy. There are a lot of people out there going through a lot of pain pain that you don't ever see, pain that you don't ever experience, you don't ever think. And unfortunately, no matter how many tweets you write, no matter how many times you reach out to someone, you know, you can't, you can never crack what is inside a person's mind and a person's heart unless they allow you in or they just decide that, you know, that 
life is too important. And in many cases, you find out after they're gone. I just, I just wonder what the friends of uh, Lionheart were feeling when they got that tweet uh, posted yesterday. Uh, I, I, I don't ever want to have a friend, you know, write something cryptic like that because you just feel like, okay, you know, just uh, that that just doesn't feel right, doesn't smell right. Some, there's something more going on here. And, um, you know, just rest in peace. That's that's all I could say. You know, if you, if you want, there are tons of matches of Adrian on YouTube. And uh, excellent performer. Excellent performer. Um, would he have made it in the WWE or Impact or AEW? I don't know. You know, it's hard to say. I mean, he's very, very talented. You know, UK wrestling is a little bit different in a lot of ways than... Uh, than the United States. Hell, look at NXT UK. You know, the style, the feel of it is different from NXT, you know, the main, the regular NXT. So, um, but he was very, very talented, without a doubt. So, uh, before I go any further, I wanted to give a little, uh, some shout-outs. Uh, we'll get into shout-outs to our new and returning patrons in a moment. Shout-out to Tygsy Bowers, Vic Condor. Garcia Kane, CM Black Pixels, Jacob Eston, Michael John Buchanan, Stell, Jerry Stewart, Johnny Marin, Michael Westfall, Brandon Foley, Chuck Lentz, Tony, Chris Harris, Keith Doherty, John Krauser, Roger Rubio, Fatty316, Stan the Man Loudon, Don Tony's political advisor, D-Boy Gentleman, Ernesto Defensa, Timothy Keel, Kane Shaw, Jeffrey Collins, James Mills, Cockboy, Jay Smoothie, Tom Baffa, Joseph Nicolak, Nico Time, Michael Rhino, Paul Convoy, Adam Demoy, and Billy Taylor. Thank you guys and gals. And uh, they are some of our associate producers and I will get into more shout outs in a little bit. Uh, other wrestling news going on. Um, we found out uh, that the AEW women's championship will be introduced at the August 31st uh, all out pay-per-view in Chicago. Uh, I think they're just bringing the belt. Down. I don't think they're going to be crowning a champion yet. Personally, I think some of those champions should be crowned for the first, you know, TV episode, you know, if they end up on TNT. I still, you know, believe that it's going to be a Tuesday night. It seems like the most logical. It's almost like you pick up where SmackDown leaves off because SmackDown is going to Friday. And I tell you, man, it's going to be really interesting to see what the ratings are on Fridays because Friday is not the greatest day to uh, be watching pro wrestling and if the Tuesday rating is shitty. You know, I, I remember back in the day, you know, you would watch Monday Night Wrestling, Raw Nitro, and then you would get spoilers. And you would hear the spoilers, you know, on, by Wednesday morning. And then you would look forward to wrestling later on in the week and, you know, the, sometimes you watched and sometimes you didn't. And sometimes, you know, you just would you know, bypass a week or two, or you watch it a couple of days late, you know, and then after a while you got into the mode that, yeah, Monday night was, you know, must-see wrestling, and then if Tuesday had wrestling, you would watch wrestling on Tuesday because it's still close enough to one to Monday. So you're still in that wrestling frame of mind, so to speak. But now with them moving to Friday, I mean, you know, you, and I'll tell you why also I, I like AEW going to Tuesday night. Because you have events on the weekend, you know, you have pay-per-views, they do house shows, you know, which they are going to do some, 
you know, I think it would be a little bit of a mistake to be having a show airing on a Friday and then the following day or two, you're doing a house show or a pay-per-view or something or TV taping. I think having it done earlier in the week so people digest it and you have a couple of days and then you lead to your next, you know, taping. I don't know. I just like that three or four day um, break between the AEW product and then whatever live events that we're going to be seeing, you know, pay-per-view or even if they're in your local area. I still think Tuesday night is the way to go, but, you know, we'll, we'll wait and see. Now, when I opened up the show, you know, I had mentioned about Seth Rollins and the rating. Um, I thought this was a mistake, but the SmackDown rating was a 1.2. That just reminds me of TNA's ratings from back in the day. 1.85 million viewers down about 80,000 viewers from the week before. Not up, but down. Lowest rating in the history of SmackDown. What does that tell you? You know, as much as we like Kofi as the champion, as much as we feel that Seth Rollins is a top talent it's really, really strange what's going on right now because if you look at the roster from a year or two ago compared to now, there's not that much difference. There really isn't. You know, sure, you got Cena that is off, but there is not that much of a difference. And, you know, I thought one of the most concerning issues was that poll that we were talking about from WWE.com on Monday that who's your current favorite champion? And sure, Daniel Bryan is a heel, so obviously fans, you know, get a boom. But the fact that Daniel Bryan only gets, what, 2% of the vote, that tells you something. But again, you know, you invested all of this time with Daniel Bryan being eco-friendly, and he had the eco-friendly WWE championship belt, and now he's a tag champion, and he's proudly wearing leather around his waist? Seriously, how much does it cost to get a fucking echo-friendly tag titles made up, even if you only use them for two or three more weeks. I mean, come on. That's just ridiculous. You look at some of these storylines and they're not thought out well enough. And when you keep beating a dead horse, I mean, look, we're, for the most part, happy that Bailey got you know her momentum back and she's a current women's champion. But seriously... You think of the god-awful, this is your life from a couple of years ago. And it wasn't just a segment. That's the thing that a lot of people forget. It wasn't just a god-awful segment. It led into extreme rules with the fucking Singapore cane on a pole match, whatever it was. And that was god-awful. Tell me what have these two done against each other since then to make you think that they're going to gel and be it? Why? Because they're three or four years more experienced. I mean, if anything, Alexa bliss right now is still trying to find her way back to a full-time in ring, you know, performer. And please don't say to me, Oh, well, she's been wrestling the last couple of weeks. They have camouflaged it very nicely that she's involved in tag team matches where she doesn't have to spend a lot of time. Does anybody think that the Bailey Alexa Bliss match is going to go more than five minutes on, on stomping grounds? I'd be shocked if it goes more than five minutes. 
when they kept focusing that Nikki Cross is going to be at ringside, you know she's going to get involved in that match, and she's going to be the reason why this match ends, whether Alexa Bliss is champion or not. And I'll get into my impromptu predictions in a moment. But she's still trying to find her way back. And I hope she becomes 100% recovered. And some people out there will say that she is. WWE is treading water very, very carefully with Alexa Bliss's return. You know, I remember she came back last year for that one appearance and everybody was online was like, oh yeah, she's back, she's back. And you can't say we didn't tell you. We were like, don't be surprised if she's not back to at least WrestleMania. You know, you work out a little bit in the ring. You know, you do a little bit live. I mean... You know, some people should be concerned about Alexa Bliss's future. I don't wish anything bad. I think her in the ring is better than her outside the ring. But, you know, when you're going into Sunday and the fact that they don't have a good track record having great matches, oh, well, they cut great promos on each other on SmackDown. Well, then have them have a fucking talk-off then. You look at Sunday and there's not a whole lot that's exciting. And I've said to a lot of people out there, tell me what match you're most excited for. Tell me which match should close out the pay-per-view. It's not a clear-cut answer in a lot of people's, you know, eyes. But anyway, I'll give you uh, my quick predictions in a moment. Uh, shout out to Chris Corby, Brian Gabb, Steve Mesmer, 8-Bit Panda Productions, Barry Cope, Mark Anderson, and Craig Brown. Welcome aboard. And welcome back. Um, now, stomping grounds. I don't know. I don't know how many of these titles are going to change hands, but let's make it perfectly clear. A belt change in hands Sunday doesn't all of a sudden mean ratings. <laughs> you know, they, what I was saying before is the roster is pretty close to what it was a year ago, two years ago. Yeah, sure, John Moxley is gone. Sure, you know, John Cena is gone. But with them gone, you have wrestlers that are back. You have wrestlers that are here. All right. So there, there's just something odd going on because, again, I invited every everyone out there to go on a, write on a piece of paper the match results from SmackDown. And you tell me how many people out there would spend top money to go see that at a house show. It's no disrespect to the wrestlers on TV because they are polished at what they do, and they are great in the ring. But you look at WCW's roster in 1999 and 2000, and sure, they had a lot of wrestlers that were older, but they also had a boatload of wrestlers that were younger, that were really fucking talented. Some people would die to have a fucking roster like that at that time. And what will you say? Well, look at how the writing was, and look at how they handled the talent, and look at all the people behind the scenes. Well, what? Because we don't have like the 40 plus year old veterans, you know, in droves like they did at that time, that things are different in the WWE locker room. Who's the locker room leaders right now? You know, and then you factor in the Saudi Arabia deal. You have two times out of the year that you have to manipulate storylines and change things around and really push it on TV because the amount of money that you're making from Saudi Arabia compensates for the revenue loss right now in a lot of different areas. You know, at the end of the day, WWE is, is making money, but the future is what you have to be concerned about. 
And this isn't 1996, 97, where you feel like, oh, you know what? You know, we have an up-and-comer named Dwayne Johnson, Rocky Maivia. We have these other stars in the new generation, this, this, and that. It doesn't feel that way, you know? So anyway, Sunday, Bailey versus Alexa Bliss for the SmackDown Women's Championship. I think Bailey is going to retain I just have not seen anything um, from Alexa Bliss where she can actually perform full-time, have full-blown matches. I hope I, I'm wrong on this, but I just see that match ending and ending short, without a doubt. In fact, for our patrons out there, I will be posting a thread for the predictions contest on Friday. As I have mentioned before, it'll be a, a private thread on DonTony.com. It will not be posted on Patreon. Um, but uh, this may end up being the tiebreaker question to predict the, the match time between Bailey and Lexa Bliss because it's just so unpredictable as far as how long this match will go. But I, th- I honestly feel it's going to be one of the shortest matches on the card. Roman Reigns versus Drew McIntyre in a one-on-one match. Uh, I almost feel like Roman Reigns has to win this one. Um, Becky Lynch versus Lacey Evans for the Raw Women's Championship. As bad as the ratings are right now, um, I just can't see Becky Lynch being without a belt right now. Where the fuck is Charlotte? You know, of course, you can't always have Charlotte in the storyline with Becky Lynch. I totally get it, but... They need to incorporate Charlotte. You know, that's the one of the top, if not the top woman on the WWE roster right now. All right. You may feel it's Becky. You may feel it's someone else. Totally respect that. In my view, Charlotte is the number one woman in the WWE right now. And she's not on this card because you don't want her interacting with Becky Lynch because there's been so much of overkill of that the last couple of years. I get it. But... You have to be able to fit her in somewhere. And the fact that you have two women's belts now and tag team titles and you can't figure out how to get Charlotte on these cards, something's wrong here. But I just can't see Becky Lynch being without a belt right now, so I say Becky Lynch retains. Seth Rollins versus Baron Corbin for the Universal Championship. Who's going to be the special guest referee? You know, I tell you, you know, we were joking around with Elias. Um... I wonder if WWE is going to do something so asinine by having Baron Corbin be his own referee. I, I, I know it sounds ridiculously stupid, but, you know, other than maybe Elias, you know, like who's going to be the referee? Shane McMahon? You know, I just, nothing, I know some people think Paul Heyman, I can't see Paul Heyman refereeing right now. Brock Lesnar would be kind of dopey. Um... Even though it would be interesting, you know, like if he was refereeing and, you know, the, the person got knocked down and he cashed in the briefcase and won the belt as well. But I tell you, I just wonder if they're going to do something really, really dumb by having Baron Corbin being in the match and also being the referee. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but nobody has picked Baron Corbin being his own referee. But anyway... um, there's a lot of people that are wondering if WWE would actually take the title off of, off of Rollins and give it to Corbin. Corbin gets heel heat, no doubt about it. But unfortunately, Corbin by far gets the most heat in the sense that you just don't want to see him on TV. They're right now, and again, it's not his Ferrari. It's not his fucking beautiful watches and all this other stuff. You know, 
I, it's none of that, you know, makes me wish I was Baron Corbin. There is nothing about Baron Corbin that I like right now that makes me want to watch him on TV. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. It's almost like the equivalent for me of Dana Brooke. Even though I feel absolutely bad for Dana Brooke that she injured herself pretty good the other day. You don't ever want to see that happen to anybody, no matter what. But I just can't. I, I could picture WWE doing that. If they could put Baron Corbin as the GM and do a god-awful dismal job with it and then try to put it in a storyline that he did a god-awful dismal job and he was fired. No, motherfuckers. You're the one that actually made the fire. And then you want credit for putting it out? Isn't there just a weird feeling that WWE would fucking go that same route and give Corbin the belt? I just, I I don't like, there's a difference between making predictions and there's a difference between saying what you want to see happen. In this case, I'm going to give you what I want to see happen, and that is Seth Rollins retain. Now, the problem is, we already talked about three belts, no title changes. So now we go to Kofi Kingston and Dolph Ziggler. And something I've been saying since WrestleMania, never count out the idea that if Brock Lesnar cashes in the near future, that he cashes in against somebody on SmackDown. Never discount that aspect of it. Um, WWE has kind of been quiet about that. They're always making you feel like that Brock could cash in on Seth Rollins, but with this wild card rule bullshit, why wouldn't Brock be able to cash in against Kofi? I'm not saying it's going to happen on Sunday, but, you know, never discount that fact. But there is no way, in my opinion, Dolph Ziggler is winning the WWE Championship. So Kofi will retain. Should they have Big E turn? We got into it on Tuesday, uh, myself and Kev. Uh, I know a lot of people out there think that because the New Day said that they don't want to split up. You know, this is an entertainment company. And if it's best for business... And for storyline advancement, and it's an ongoing soap opera that they do break up and Biggie turns, then that's the way it will happen. Um, no, the inmates don't run the asylum. You want to keep them happy, but they don't run the asylum. So I would say Kofi retains. Samoa Joe versus Ricochet for the United States Championship. I tell you, <laughs> would, I, would I have ever thought that... Uh, somebody who may have videotaped themselves fingering their asshole would would affect the outcome of a match. I don't know, man. For those that are saying, what the hell are you talking about right now? There's a rumor going around online that Ricochet filmed himself fingering his ass. I have never fingered my ass. I have never experimented. I have not stuck plungers up there. I have not stuck pencils up there. I haven't even done it to joke around. Actually, no, I did one time shove the pen up my ass. If you remember, when I signed the contract uh, with Low Life Louis Ramos for USA Pro Wrestling, I, well, actually, no, 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 no. I didn't shove it up my ass. I shoved it up Louis's ass. And then I threw it into the crowd, and you had to see it was like Jesus parting the water. Everybody jumped out of the way. They didn't want to get hit with the pen that smelled like Louis' asshole. I shoved it straight into his ass. He told me. He's like, no, no, let's make it realistic. Shove it all the way up my ass. I'll be fine. Sick freak. Uh, Shout out to Louis. I miss him. He's a good guy. One of the most genuine, nice guys I've ever met in pro wrestling. Hope he's doing well. Hope his family's doing well. But um, I don't know if that video is legit with Ricochet. But if it is legit, you know, that could derail what could be a U.S. championship run. 
Um, I thought up to now that Ricochet may have a great chance of getting it, especially if WWE decide to do nothing with the storyline with Dominic, which I thought would have been so apropos. And plus, why does Samoa Joe have this title if it was just handed over to him? What happened to Stephanie having her, having her panties in a bunch because Brock Lesnar put speakers on a briefcase, but you hand a title over to someone and it's okay? It's god-awful. Little things like that, people, god-awful. So I actually would like to see Ricochet have that belt. The finger in the ass thing might derail it, but if that happens, that's your first title change. The New Day versus Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, you know, after Kevin... Isn't it weird? Isn't it weird, everyone? Kevin Owens doesn't go to Saudi Arabia. Everybody, for the most part, is saying, oh, you know, it's optional. I remember going on the show, as soon as we heard that and said, you know... WWE, in a lot of ways, they're like, oh, you don't have to go. But they give you that look, that subliminal look like, mm, if I don't go, you know, whether it was because you're against Saudi Arabia, or maybe you just didn't want to travel that far, maybe you just wanted to spend a couple of days with your family, whatever the reason being. But when that first was announced that he wasn't going, then they went with plan B, which was Dolph Ziggler, which is not a bad plan B, nothing against Dolph Ziggler. But... um I sound like a WWE promo. It's nothing against you, but again, WWE, take but and however out of the fucking promos, it would be so much better. But anyway, um, I said, you know, kind of feels like Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn are derailed and all of a sudden Sami Zayn's thrown a fucking dumpster. Kevin Owens can't even buy a victory, even though he's got one victory here and there, but do you feel like that they're being de-pushed. Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn are so goddamn talented that they don't need to win, and they're not losing much credibility in the ring. But I don't like the way they're being used right now. However, the fact that this match is on pay-per-view, why I don't know, I feel like, okay, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn will probably get their win uh, this Sunday. Tony Nese defending the Cruiserweight Championship against Drew Gulak and Akira Tozawa. Nothing uh, in the momentum category for Tozawa. Gulak, I like. I, you know, I've been wanting Drew Gulak to have that belt for a while. And Tony Nese, it, you know, he's, he's a hell of a talent. It just feels like nothing much is going on with that belt right now. And it almost feels like they threw to, threw to Tozawa in there, maybe to have a title change without Nice being pinned. I, I don't know. Or maybe there's going to be some fuckery between Tozawa and Gulak and Nice sneaks out a victory. But remember, if you haven't been following Nice all of a sudden now is babyface, even though you look at his abs and everything and that man should not be a babyface. I like to see Gulak get it. You know, give another title change, even if it is the fucking opening card, uh, opening match or pre-show. Now, SmackDown tag titles. You have Daniel Bryan and Eric Rowan defending the belts against Heavy Machinery. I don't know. I they brought up repeatedly about that eco-friendly tag titles that they decided not to do. And my only thought the last couple of weeks is, the belts are going to change hands very, very shortly, and that's why they're not even wasting their time doing the eco-friendly belts. Daniel Bryan should have not even worn those belts to the, the ring. In protest, the WWE, they don't want to have an eco-friendly belt. He's not wearing the belt. 
You know, let them be embarrassed with the belt. Then you could have heavy machinery in the promos talk about the pride of the belt. That might have made the storyline a little bit more interesting. So the fact that they're not using eco-friendly belts, maybe heavy machinery is getting it Sunday. So I'll go with heavy machinery taking those belts. So if my predictions stick uh, and Ricochet didn't sting his, stick his finger in his ass, that's three title changes. The U.S. title, the Cruiserweight title, the SmackDown tag title. We will see what happens on Sunday. And remember... If you're going to be around Sunday night, five minutes after the pay-per-view is over, uh, you're more than welcome to go on Discord and uh, interact with myself. Kev said he's going to be doing a recap as well. You could chat with us and other listeners live during the show. Shout out to Hassan Hashmi, Brent Webster, Aaron Walker, Aaron Kloss, out in the here, Anthony Smith, James Gruesome, Mark Israel. By the way, there is no Aaron Walker. I just fucked up a name and I wasn't even going to say anything. Out here, Anthony Smith, James Grusom, Mark Israel, Bob O'Mac, CJ Uihara, Crestman, James Deal, the Switch, Blay, Switch Babe, Courtney Summers, the Switch Babe? No, it's a Switch Babe. Dylan O'Bray, John Coffey, Tim Everhart, Andrew914, Donald J. Trump, Russell Zavala, Murrah Coombs Jr., Douglas McKay, Keith Lee, James Farmer, John Garcia, Mad Dog No Good, Larry Trailer, Tommy Pikeshi, Zach Spoonamore, Chris Lumna, Rich Mahog, Julian LeBlanc, Big Red, Brandon Rice, Spider Lewin, Demetof Isaac Fox, Carl Buteau, a.k.a. Cheese and Rice, Rob McKay, Brian Byrne, Daniel Warren, and Michael Cuomo. And as always, everyone, if you're on eBay, go check out Raul Romo's House of Cards. A lot of wrestling cards, packs, singles, collectibles. Got some really good shit over there. Also on eBay, you can check out Your Best Bargains LLC. Mike, very good friend of the family. I am a regular customer of his. Uh, He's got everyday items there. He's got some collectibles as well. Just go on Amazon or eBay and just search the name Your Best Bargains LLC. SubZeroComics.com for your wrestling comic book and pop culture collectible needs. Christ in the Toyverse has a podcast on YouTube under the name Undercover Capes. You can go to undercovercapes.com and uh, some awesome content there, reviewing collectibles, bobbleheads, my bobblehead, which everybody loved the review. Guy is really creative, man. Very, very funny uh, videos he does. Uh, You can check out the sneaker addict, DJ Dells. He's got his sneaker podcast. He also has podcasts that have nothing to do with sneakers, but about wrestling. Really, really good guy. And uh, Dells is a good friend of the family. And Dells knows, never wavered. He's a good guy. Rockreviews.com. It is a very unique podcast. They review a lot of uh, rock-related albums from yesteryear. And usually it's albums that, you know, sold pretty well back then. But you look at them now and you say, God, they suck. They just do it in a very fun way. I've listened to so many of their episodes, um, you know, and if I have the time, actually watch them, and they just entertain the fuck out of me. You don't have to be into rock music to love their show. Uh, two other podcasts. If, to me, the equivalent, as far as the way they review, if you put it to movies, horror films, pop culture films, you know, the B and D rated films, I guess you call it, Texas Podcast Massacre. They're on YouTube under the same name. Shoot the Defense, Cool Soccer Podcast, Stell, and uh, it's by fans, for fans. A lot of our international listeners are big fans of that podcast, so shout out to Stell. 
And as always, Elman Shah, really, really good artist. He's got a displayed store. And look, I don't put these guys over because they're sponsors of what we do. All right. I put them over because they really do all offer something unique to the table. Um, support them because they really are, are busting their ass and they definitely deserve a big time support. They do a great job. Um, for everybody on Patreon tonight, Thursday night, you have Dark Chronicles with Kevin Trez. Um, blah, 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 by the way, returns next week. This weekend, I'll put up the early release of This Week in Wrestling History. Uh, now, the show's not done yet. We have some questions and a few things to get into. And some of these questions will lead to some news. You know, some of the Patreon shows that I do, how we format it is our associate producers and VIPers. They set the foundation as far as the topics that they want discussed. And then, you know, myself, Mish, you know, we'll basically take that foundation and we just build the house that we want to build. And sometimes it leads to really wacky stories. Now, I love reading the questions quickly, but not thinking about them all that much because I like to give my spur-of-the-moment reactions. Where research is required, I'll obviously always do the research before the show airs. But, um, you know, some of the conversations today... Going to get interesting. Some of them have nothing to do with wrestling. I'm going to warn everybody out there, but, you know, it's not a big part of the show. And I think the questions asked you'll still find entertaining. Now, Ralph Ramirez wants my thought on these WWE Hall of Fame candidates. I don't know. I, I did not hear any of these guys being considered for the Hall of Fame right now. Guys and gals, I think, is probably the better way to put it. But if you're asking me if they deserve to be in the WWE Hall of Fame, and you, what I like about this question is he uses names that are not as uh, cut-and-dry Hall of Famers. Not all of them. Some of them, I think, are clear-cut Hall of Famers as far as WWE goes or pro wrestling um, in a, in its whole but some of them, you actually take a step back and say, all right, uh, maybe not WWE Hall of Fame, but Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame. But he, he gave a list of names, not too many, but I'll throw them out there. First, um, Sean Mooney. You know, Sean Mooney, I mean, I know a lot of you out there are fans of his podcast, and it's a great podcast, and he is a longtime, you know, WWE uh, interviewer. And, you know, he definitely is, uh, you know, a character. Interesting guy, loves wrestling. Um, would I put him in the WWE Hall of Fame? Possibly. I, I'm, you know, I, I, I wonder if Sean Mooney feels that he deserves to be in the WWE Hall of Fame. And a lot of people that, you know, you might think of more borderline, they probably, you know, deep down inside would fucking jump at the 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 offer. But maybe publicly we'll be a little bit humble and say, ah, you know, you know, there's a lot of other people that deserve it before me. So Sean Mooney, yeah, maybe, you know what, five, ten years from now. But um, I think some other people would have to go in first. But now with, their, with the way that they do this other wing where they put like 10, 15 people in the Hall of Fame before the ceremony starts, even though that's something that we said uh, several years ago that they should do, you know, maybe you put him in that way. Um, I wouldn't put it this way. I wouldn't put Sean Mooney on the list of six, seven people that are on the billboard for the Hall of Fame. But, you know, if you want to give him one of the Hall of Fame awards before the ceremony, yeah, I'm fine with that. Tommy Dreamer, definite Hall of Famer. You know, blows me away 
to take a step back and realize that this motherfucker's been wrestling almost 30 years. I mean, this week, think about this. This week is the anniversary of Hostile City Showdown 1994, the ECW event, the first ever meeting between Cactus Jack and Sabu. 25 years ago. 25 Tommy Dreamer, look, he's put on a couple of pounds in the last bunch of years, but he's still entertaining as fuck. And to think that this man has been wrestling over 25 years, mind-boggling. Mind-boggling, especially when you remember what he was doing in ECW. Never in a million years would ever think that Tommy Dreamer would have a 25-year career. That man definitely deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Definitely. The Rockers, yeah. Without a doubt. Shawn Michaels, no question. Marty Jannetty, you know, say what you want. I mean, you know, unfortunately, his name has now become an adjective. Yeah, I guess it would be an adjective like, who's the Marty Jannetty of the team? Um, But no, I would put Marty in the Hall of Fame as, as the Rockers. Absolutely. Bad News Brown, Bad News Allen. I don't think... He would go in the WWE Hall of Fame unless you talk about that, you know, the that first group of, you know, the legends that they do. Uh, definite Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, WWE Hall of Fame. And I think from now on when we do discuss this, because you remember, when they, look, people are pissed off right now that Bruiser Brody's in the WWE Hall of Fame. But they decided to do it, you know, in that little, you know, pre-show thing where they just like the this legendary wing or whatever it is. You know, that's how they're throwing people in the Hall of Fame without paying tribute to them. And that sucks. So I think going forward, when we talk about the Hall of Fame, you'll have, a put it this way, within five years, you could have about 50 people, 60 people in the Hall of Fame that were never celebrated during the ceremony. So you're going to get a boatload of people put in the Hall of Fame now. So I think from now on, when we talk about it, when we say should be in the Hall of Fame, I think we should focus only on the main ceremony because that, you know, that legendary wing that they have, a lot of these names are pretty much, you know, almost a guarantee. But Bad News Brown would not be on the main Hall of Fame ceremony. Cindy Lauper deserves it. This is the anniversary also that they aired the Piper's Pit with Cindy Lauper having a fallout with Albano. And this led to, you know, Albano representing, uh, Mula representing Albano and Wendy Richter representing Lauper and then the war to settle the score and all the other shit that went down. My God, you know, for younger fans out there, you missed a fun time with the rock and wrestling connection. I mean, some of the rock and roll, you know, performers that were plug in wrestling were a little goofy at the time, but still it was a fun time to be a wrestling fan here in the Northeast. Cindy Lauper, not no question of the celebrity wing in the WWE Hall of Fame. That woman should have been put in 10 years ago. Easily. Leilani Kai, definite Hall of Famer as well, but not on the main card. And Mike McGurk, uh, she definitely deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. She is a pioneer, but again, I would not put her in uh, the main Hall of Fame. And you gave me just totally random fuck, marry, kiss, wet and sloppy kiss, he adds. Denise Williams, Lisa Lisa, and Gloria Estefan, if you didn't listen to DT Casey show live on Tuesday, you wouldn't understand why we're talking 80s stuff, but if I was forced to... See, I don't know if you're talking about now them because i wouldn't do any of that with any of them right now but if you're talking like in their primes i would um fuck marry kiss 
I would fuck Lisa Lisa, I would kiss Denise Williams, and I would marry Gloria Estefan. Absolutely. So, I know, look, I know some of you out there like, oh, that was kind of like dumb. Oh, you'd be surprised how many people do this fuck, marry, kiss thing on online. It's it's actually pretty funny to see how many people do it. And yeah, I kind of feel awkward sometimes doing it, but hey, it's all in good fun, right? Oh, Sharon Pierce, who do I predict will be the next wrestler to come up from NXT? You know, Adam Cole keeps talking about how, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean to be a step up to go from NXT. He's, he's taking pride in NXT. Yeah, I almost feel like they got to bring up like Velveteen Dream or Adam Cole. There's got to be somebody there. What they're doing, Alistair Black right now, man, it's almost, I, I he, he reminds me of Emma. All these vignettes, the coming of Emma, the return of Emma, the repackaging of Emma. I mean, he's kind of heavily prominent. Nobody wants to step up. You know, you want to challenge, fucking go out in the ring and do it. And yes, it's not under his control. There's WWE writers, but man, these skits are getting a little bit tiresome. Do I think Lacey will ever come out in her Marine gear? Yeah, absolutely. I have... Uh, showed a lot of support for Lacey Evans. Um, I don't think it's fair for anybody to, to feel that in such a short amount of time, she would be a legitimate main eventer. She's got to develop a character still. She's still trying to, you know, find her way with some of her promos. Some of the things she says, a lot of people, it goes right over their head that she's referencing a lot of old time movies and stuff like that. And that was something that I talked about probably two months ago. Uh, I, you got to give her more time, but I think once she turns baby faced, Oh, that military background will be celebrated and mentioned quite a bit without a doubt. Do I think mentioning a background adds anything to her character right now? Or was it ruined by Becky's reaction? No, none of these things are ruined with stuff like that. I mean, you know, it, it, at the end of the day, it is storyline. I know they try to really, shoot on each other, quote unquote, to make it look realistic. But at the end of the day, you know, nobody's really like having fisticuffs behind the scenes. And if you are, then you shouldn't be employed. Um, you know, her mentioning her military background, it doesn't change her character. It doesn't change that she's a heel. It doesn't change the popularity of Becky. I know a lot of people are not thrilled with Becky's current um, per role or persona or just the, just the momentum but no, I don't think that affects it any way, shape, or form. Fatty316, um, do I think people aren't watching wrestling as much due to the illusion of kayfabe almost being gone? No, no. I think it's just the opposite. Social media right now is really making people think that some of these spats online are real. And, you know, I have no problem with fans believing Spat, uh, some of these spats or little digs being thrown online are real. I have no problem with that. When you have websites reporting it as news, that's a problem. When you have podcasters that are falling for a lot of stuff, that's a problem. You know, I, I don't mean to like get anybody mad, but who said a year ago when Ronda Rousey, even before her debut at WrestleMania last year, um, when she was training in the WWE and you had those women in the WWE posting on Twitter that, you know, they were saying like she's an outsider and all this other stuff. 
Remember what I said back then? I said, down the line, when you see these 24 specials and they start showing you footage from a year and a half ago, when you see it backstage, you think all those women that went on social media said she's an outsider and she's not welcome and this and that, you think they're going to just look at her and walk away? No, they're hugging her. They're helping her train. And all of that was just, you know, suspension of disbelief, but a lot of people fell for it. And... You know, I'm not trying to ruin, you know, the suspension and disbelief for a lot of people out there, but I got to tell it the way I see it. And um, social media right now is keeping some people in the perception of feuds alive. You see little spats. The problem is, is that, you know, there's you got to treat it like like alcohol. You got to know when to say when you can't abuse it. And unfortunately, there's some people in wrestling that don't know where to stop with their character online and they come off as goofy. And I'm not going to say any individual names right now because it's perception. What I may find goofy, you may find entertaining and vice versa. So, uh, no, I, you know, I don't think kayfabe has been broken for decades now. It's just... The writing, and it's not must-see TV, and it's, you know, there's a lot of carelessness. Like I said, you could go up and down the line with storylines, and it's just, again, I brought this up on DTKC Extra Tuesday, because we did the show right after SmackDown, and I'll mention it here right now. What was the match on SmackDown involving R-Truth in the ring? It was Miz and R-Truth. They teamed up. They took on uh, Drew McIntyre and Elias. All right, no big deal. Somebody out there explained to me why the 24-7 title was suspended during that match. Think about the storyline. The 24-7 title is defended 24-7, 365. Not 24-7, 364 and a half. It's 24-7, 365. That's dumb mistake number one. Dumb mistake number two is Shane McMahon has the authority to do whatever the fuck he wants during the match. Why would you allow the 24-7 title to be, the rules to be suspended during this match? Because, well, the obvious answer is they wanted all truth to be pinned without losing the belt because they were going to give it to Drake Maverick later on and we'll probably see a little skit from a wedding reception and blah, 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 blah. The point is, look at that. Why was that... 24-7 belt, the rules suspended during that match. The the, the belt right now, R-Truth is trying to make chicken salad out of chicken shit. And R-Truth is my favorite champion right now, as I said Monday. Doesn't mean the belt is great. The belt is garbage. It's garbage. The skits, the night the belt debuted, what did I say to everybody? I hope it doesn't turn into the avoidance title. I hope it doesn't turn into the Benny Hill title. It's exactly what it turned out to be. All right, some of the participants are making it very entertaining. Drake Maverick's been very entertaining as well, and a lot of others. Doesn't mean the belt is has any credibility to it, but the point is, go back to it. Why was the title rule suspended during that match? Why? Wouldn't he want Elias or Drew McIntyre to pin R-Truth and be a champion? Why would you do that? Just asinine. What about the fucking pay-per-view? When they're in the cage battling and fucking Shane McMahon puts his leg on the rope and they stop the count in a cage. And then people are like, oh, well, the referee made a mistake. 
this is WWE. You're not supposed to make mistakes like that. There's, you, you can't keep ignoring or insulting people's intelligence. Not everybody watching is five or ten years old. And not everybody watching and it's an adult has a ten-year-old in the room. So you want to, oh, man, this has got off. i got to change the channel. No, don't change the channel. I'm watching that. No. When Seth Rollins on Thursday is showing coffee, remember right before they came out for their lowest record rating ever match? What did they, what were they doing in the back right before they came out for their match? Seth Rollins, if you looked at the mannerisms, he's showing coffee the chair and the leg on the chair. And I'm saying to myself, Kofi's a rookie? I mean, what are you showing him the chair? Oh, this is how you hold the chair? I fucking went inside, took a shit. I and, and I had to take a shit no matter what, even if the skit was great. The point is, I was like, are you fucking kidding me? I, I just, no. I have to have suspension of disbelief. When it's too campy that, you know, I can't, it's, no. No, no, no. Kyle Kazmarski, do I have a grill? Yes, I do. They're gold-plated. I just got my... Bri- oh, you're talking about barbecue grill. Yes, I do. Unfortunately, um, where I live over here, um, the area where we're allowed to barbecue, like everybody and their mother could watch. And um, last summer, I barbecued a couple of steaks for me and my girl. And you had to see, there was like three neighbors like just staring at me. And I felt like I got to offer these motherfuckers food now because they're watching me. I was like, I can't barbecue no more. So I barbecued by my father's. Um, he's uh, been wanting his first ever grill to have, so he could have a barbecue outside this summer. And he's going to get one soon because a neighbor who lives a block from him is going to give him a free Weber charcoal grill uh, that he doesn't need. So he wants to know what's my favorite food to cook on a grill. Uh, steaks are awesome. Uh, I know a lot of people like to have chicken on the grill. I can't stand that. I don't like sausage on the grill. My two favorite things to have on a grill is steak. And now because I'm on keto, the diet, I can actually have a hot dog. So I actually like a grilled hot dog. But one of my favorite things to barbecue besides corn on a cob, which I can't have right now, is eggplant. And what you do is you take... Um, the preferably the purple eggplant, not the cheap, big fucking fat eggplants, but I'm talking about the round, light purple ones. You cut them, you soak them in salt water for about an hour or two to get some of the bitterness out. And then all you do is you just um, douse it in olive oil, little garlic powder, salt and pepper, and just barbecue them. And then you take those barbecued uh, eggplants and you put them on top of a burger, Oh my God, you have no idea how good that is. Holy shit, you have no idea how good that is. D-Boy, gentlemen, if I was asked to call a baseball game, would I do it? And what would be the over and under calling the umpire Matarats? Uh, Believe it or not, if you actually watch baseball games every day, which I know you do, um, you don't get as many bad ump calls as you would think. Uh, So I don't know if I would be calling um, some Matarats all that much. But no, I wouldn't call a baseball game. Now, I actually uh, did commentary once for a wrestling event, and I did not like it at all. I hated it. It was just, and, and the funny thing is, is I was doing hotlines at the time, and I just could not get into it. I'm just, no. For some reason, I don't think I could ever get polished at doing any type of play-by-play or even be in the antagonist. I just 
couldn't see myself doing it. Brian, the mayor of Dinosaur Island Landry, if there was one scene or moment that I could rewrite better in Goodfellas, what would it be? Wow, that is a pretty damn good question because Goodfellas is my favorite movie of all time. You know, there's not much that is at fault with that movie. I mean, the scene with the fucking mailman and putting his head in the oven, somebody actually, let me, I'll, I'll answer your question. Uh, let me go a little one step ahead. CM Black Pixels wants me to tell another story about the mob, local mob over here, that I have a family member uh, that ever had contact with gangsters and a mob. Also, you hear on TV and you see on movies about the mob having private dinners in the back of clubs. What kind of foods were they eating? Some of my favorite Italian dishes. Well, look, it's no secret that, you know, I was a guest for John Gotti's club when I was 15 years old. I don't remember much as far as eating and stuff like that, but I have customers right now that I deal with in Howard Beach that have insurance with me. And um, they'll invite, invite me over to the house to have a glass of wine in the summertime. And many times over the years, I'll go over someone's house and they're having a barbecue in the back. And you'll see a lot of, you know, 60 and 70 year olds who used to be gangsters or cardboard or wannabe. And, um, you know, they're all sitting around and almost they almost like they're in withdrawal that they can't do, you know, the criminal acts that they once did, you know, because times have changed. But um, Goodfellas, when you see sausage being on the queue, you know, being cooked, sausage, cheese and parsley sausage, fennel, uh, no fennel. That is probably one of the mo most popular things that you'll see eaten. My father interacted with a lot of gangsters back then. My father usually would um, give them like some meats or some catering and uh, offer to give it to them for nothing. And that was their way of uh, basically leaving my father alone. My father never had to pay for protection or anything like that. But, you know, like somebody would get out of jail. Hey, how you doing? Hey, uh, we need a couple of six foot heroes. You deliver over here, right? Yeah. And then my father would have a deliver and he would say no charge. And sometimes they would insist on paying anyway. And nobody really would take advantage of my father because, you know, when, when you hear, especially in the mafia days back then about Italian, you know, it's an Italian thing. It's a matter of respect and stuff. You know, they really did show that to my father, but I told this story on Patreon before. I'll be really brief. In the late 80s, I think it was the Daily News, wanted to do a story on my father because uh, this, the deli was really, really prospering and it was, I guess, the most successful business in the neighborhood. And they made arrangements. They met with my father. They did an interview for like 40 minutes. They took pictures and they told my father he'll be featured in uh, the following Sunday's newspaper. And I'll never forget because I was working in the deli at the time as a teenager and that Saturday, my father ordered about a hundred extra copies of the paper and he planned on keeping a lot of them and, you know, storing it and bragging about it and taking pride. You know, there's his deli was being featured and my father never graduated high school. My father still has a tough time reading to this day, a lot better than what he used to. And that was all like an inspiration because, you know, when they interviewed my father, they found out about all this stuff. They thought it was a great story. So my father orders all these newspapers and that Sunday comes and we get the papers and we open it up and we're looking around and there's no article. I know the haters out there right now love this, but fine, you know, get your orgasm for today. So uh, going through the paper and there's no article. So 
you know, <laughs> I don't remember who it was, but somebody said to my father, I was like, why don't you call the, the guy? You know, you got his business card. And my father realized he got no business card, got no name, no nothing. Long story short, we found out like a month or two later that it wasn't the Daily News that were interviewing me. It was like the FBI trying to get dirt on my father or see if my father was going to kind of like lead to, you know, any, you know, people connected and stuff. My father's never been connected with the mob, never. That's one thing about my father that I would appreciate forever is because he had virtually no education, he gave his, him and my mom, they gave birth to me when they were just turning 19 years old. So I didn't even have time to fucking spend, you know, with education and stuff like that. I mean, they were dating it to get 16 or 17. The point is, is that my father had too much pride to take shortcuts. So he never got involved with stuff like that. And it's paying off now because no controversy, no stress and life is good. So, uh, but as far as, you know, him interacting and when me with the mob story, you know, the, the one that I, I'm trying to th- see, I don't want to make up shit and I'll never make up stories on these shows, but as far as me interacting, you know, no, I mean, I would be at coffee shops. I remember, here's a good one. I remember one time I was at a coffee shop in Ridgewood, Queens and um, we, I don't know if it was, Gate, it was right off Gates Avenue. I don't remember it in the coffee shop, but we went there one night. I was there a couple of times. We went there one night and in the back of the coffee shop in a different room, they had poker tables and they had like, uh, I think like a slot machine or two and you gambled for real money. And, you know, a couple of my friends were invited to go and they asked me if I wanted to go. And they said, you know, you got to bring some money with you. And I said, no problem. So we went there and we were playing cards and you had a lot of gangsters there. You really didn't have cardboard because real big time gangsters or even small gangsters, they would not associate themselves with cardboard. And for anyone out there, you know, that's not familiar with my other shows, what do I mean by cardboard? You ever go to like, you know, like, here's a good one. You, you go on WWE.com and you, you shop and they have these big cardboard cutouts of famous wrestlers, Austin, Hogan, Cena, Reigns, go down the list and you could buy a cardboard cutout. Or sometimes you go to like a, a, a carnival and you'll be able to pose next to a cardboard cutout. It might be Obama, Trump, it could be anybody. And it's a cardboard cutout. Well, you had cardboard gangsters. These were guys that either were from Howard Beach or Ozone Park or Brooklyn who thought that they were gangsters, who wanted to be gangsters. They tried to look like gangsters, but they weren't really gangsters. They were just like cardboard cutouts of gangsters. And when I used to go to that club Butterfingers and we had that one time with that guy with the fucking wife beater shirt on and the Christ head and he's fucking doing like the Travolta cyanide fever thing with his finger and he's fucking looking at all the women with his fucking hairy chest sticking out trying to fucking pick up women. They all laughed at him and the guy walked out. He was cardboard. He wasn't a gangster. He tried to act like a gangster. He looked like a goof. But... um. One time we went to this coffee shop in Ridgewood and we're playing cards and we have a cappuccino and we were probably like maybe like 19 years old at the time. So I'm not going to lie. We're in awe of some of the people that were there. Some of the people you heard about, some of the people you saw on TV and we're all playing cards and we're being respectful. And one guy, I don't remember who it was, but he kept losing. He was on a different table, kept losing. And then I guess, you know, just he flipped 
and he fucking took the poker table and flew it upside down and there was poker chips flying everywhere. And this is real money people are playing for. Everybody's money went everywhere and it just turned into such a mess that everybody's like, look, get out, get out, get out. You know, they, they were afraid the cops were going to show up. It was a coffee shop. You had people that were in the coffee shop having coffee and pastries, and then you have this big commotion in the back, and it's all illegal gambling. So, yeah, a lot of the stuff that you saw, look, a lot of movies will sensationalize it and exaggerate it, you know, but uh, a lot of that stuff is real. But getting back to uh, Brian... Is there a scene in Goodfellas that I would change around a little bit? Not much, man. Really not much. Um, you know, just as far as... See, I, I'm thinking all of the scenes, and like I thought about this earlier, there's really not much, man. When they depicted, depicted him very, very young, and he was cutting out of school and stuff like that, that was pretty damn accurate with some people. And even the shit later, with Robert De Niro offering the, the coats to uh, Ray Liotta's wife and telling her to go around the corner and shit like that, you know, that could actually be a little bit uh, realistic as well because you had a lot of warehouses like that that they had a lot of fucking bootleg and stolen clothes. And then you would have people that would go to the stores, hey, you know, you, know, you want to buy a jacket? You want to buy a coat? You know, this, and they would usually come around in the summertime. But um, no, there's nearly not much. I think if I was going to change anything, it might have been the end with the girl that she's got to go back to her house to get a fucking hat. I don't care who the fuck that, that woman was. You ain't going back to your fucking house to get a hat. No, I don't fucking think so. That was a little bit goofy. Oh, I can't go anywhere without my lucky hat. I would have taken the fucking meatballs that he was frying. I would have put it on her head and said, there's your fucking hat. I didn't like that at all. I thought it was really fucking corny. Uh, let's get back to wrestling, right? Uh, let's see. David Peralta. Did I watch Kayfabe Commentary's ECW timeline? If so, what are my favorites? His is 96 to 99 because of the fun years of the company. Um, I always liked 95 to 98. You know, I know that they did 96 to 99, but I always liked 95 to 98. Uh, 94 was on the cusp of ECW really turning it up as far as being extreme. 99 was a great year as well, but, you know, for me, 95 to 98 was the era. So hearing stories at that time, you know, all the details about mass transit, even though we really knew everything already, but a lot of the behind the scenes leading up to the pay-per-view and, you know, just uh, some of the things you learn now as far as the business dealings that Paul Heyman was having and still a lot of the wrestlers back then, 95 to 98. I absolutely loved. Um, New Jack is fucking entertaining, RVD. I will say this, though. Some of the stories that are told now, you know, they, as years go by, things are exaggerated just that much more, which is probably why a lot of people find it so entertaining sometimes. But for the most part, everything that they're saying is uh, legit, without a doubt. Um 99 was a good year, but it started to go stale with TNN. Yeah, it wasn't just that. I mean, you had WCW signing a lot of wrestlers, WWE, because they had to deal with Paul Heyman that they would bring in certain people pretty much at whim. And once you had a lot of the mainstays leaving, you know, with all due respect to Steve Carino and everyone else, I mean, I think they themselves would even look back and say, look, you know, ECW 
wasn't what it used to be in 2000. And, um, you know, it just, it fizzled. Even if Paul Heyman managed the books the right way, I just don't know if anybody from WWF would have jumped ship to ECW. It, even if Paul Heyman didn't have that relationship with Vince McMahon. Um, I just, I don't know. And even with WCW, you know, the the one cool thing was to see Sandman go back and be in so much better shape. Remember when he first came back to ECW after he left WCW? That motherfucker was jacked. And then, you know, time, you know, catches up and, you know, the rest is history. I mean, uh, I wonder how many people out there even know the incident where he uh, pulled his pants down and actually showed his uh, private parts during um, an event in Florida. Some people said it was a TNN taping. I don't know if it actually was, but by 2000, you just, it didn't feel the same. And I started pushing tickets for ECW in 2000. So, <laughs> you know, they start. I had the number one hotline in the United States that was free. And um, I was approached. I'm not going to start naming names, but, you know, it's it's pretty much a given. And there's people that backed it up. I was approached, you know, to push tickets for ECW. I didn't do anything else other than that, but I actually sold a pretty damn good amount of tickets for ECW, and I got rewarded. I was rewarded financially. I was given front row tickets to events, got to hang out with some of the guys in the back, and I always brought up the heroes, you know, bringing it to the pay-per-view and it being used and all that, but it was a fun time. Absolutely, to this day, ECW is my favorite uh, Fed of all time. Some people will go back to Florida wrestling. Some people will go NWA. Some of you out there hope to say e, uh, AEW five years from now. But for me, ECW, the original ECW, was always my favorite. It'll remain my favorite. We're almost done. And this question has to do with racism, not wrestling. If you don't like it and you got to hear wrestling, then just disconnect now. Because if you're a new listener, what you need to learn quickly is that on my shows, I talk a lot more than just wrestling. I'm a fucking adult. Life does not begin and end with AEW or WWE or Lucha Underground or TNA or Impact, right? whatever. No, we talk real life as well. And I think that's why we have such a loyal and longtime following. I mean, again, I'm going back to 1997 doing this stuff. And it blows me away to have this big of an audience still to this day. I, I argue uh, with people all the time. Show me five shows out there that have uh, a long time following like that. I don't know if you come up with five, but DJ White Sox is in college right now studying political science. And they're currently studying racism. And the topic in particular is the death of Michael Griffith that died here in Howard Beach. He thought of me right away because everything took place here. Do I think it's one of the most racist events in American history? Now, you know, this This is Anthony de Blasi talking right now. This is not Don Tony. And I'm going to say this and hear me out before anybody gets triggered immediately. Is it one of the most racist events in American history? No, not by far. And the reason why I say that is I think of slavery. I think of the 50s, the 60s. And I see what some uh, blacks went through. They were tortured, abused. Their human rights were totally gone from birth. And some of the things, you know, God, you look at the black and white footage that's from, that's disgusting. 
that fails to compare to what happened to Michael Griffith. Now, what happened to Michael Griffith is an absolute tragedy. It's disgusting. And I always have told this story before on the other shows. You know, John Lester, that piece of shit, who was one of the guys that went to jail for it, and he, he's dead. I think he died at like 43 years old. That motherfucker showed up at my father's deli when he was on parole. And he walked in, and because I was working at the time, and I'll never forget it. He walked in, hair slicked back, fucking wanted a hero. I don't remember what he ordered, but somebody made up the hero and wrote on the fucking paper with the black crayon that they used to use the price, $6, $7, whatever it was. And the guy looked at whoever, you know, it helped him at the time. It wasn't me, but I saw it. He's like, wait, you want me to pay for this? So the guy's looking at him like, what do you mean? So he's like, do you know who I am? My father happened to be by the cash register and he heard it. And my father walked over and my father said, is there a problem? And John Lester looked at my father and he thought he was a fucking celebrity. And he's like, yeah. He's like, um, you actually want me to pay for this hero? And my father looked at him like my father couldn't believe that he actually thought he wanted free food. He wasn't homeless. He thought he deserved it. So my father said, no, you don't have to pay for it. My father opened the fucking wax paper and bit into the sandwich. And he's like, you know, you're not paying for it because I'm eating it. The fucking guy walked out. Absolute asshole. The only reason why I don't call it one of the most racist events in history, and trust me, you, this is a guy that's been in and around Howard Beach since the 80s, okay? When that happened, okay, was it racist? Absolutely. To just imagine Michael Griffith and these guys, now look, they didn't know Howard Beach well. I drive past where they fucking ran on the highway every day. New Park Pizza is still open. Everybody, you know, that's the one thing that bothers me to this day about the incident is that for some reason, people put blame on New Park Pizza. It had nothing to do with it. But because it happened, it started by their place, you know, for some reason, people always, you know, almost blame them, which is terrible. But getting back to the incident, you look at what happened with slavery, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s, you see that god-awful footage. People had hate in their hearts from day one. And they intentionally tortured, took away human rights, slavery, and, you know, everything was, you know, premeditated. To this day, nobody really knows if those guys were out to kill blacks. You know, you understand what I'm saying? I mean, because there wasn't a, like a long history of them attacking blacks or going into other neighborhoods. Like, I don't know exactly what triggered the fight, but I don't think anybody intended on killing anybody that night. It was punks fucking with other people that were black and they were like, get out of my fucking neighborhood. And they chased them. And again, you got to feel so bad for Michael Griffith and those who were involved because they didn't know where they were running to. And when you see that area and you just envision it, it's fucking sad because in their mind, they thought running across the highway was a better option than turning around and getting beat up. And that's fucking sad. But again, you know, if if everybody knew, you know, that they went out with the sole purpose of fucking with blacks that night and killing them, 
then I would say, yeah, it's one of the most racist incidents in history. But look, man, you, you will admit it and everybody else will admit it out there. You see it all over the fucking TV still to this day. You know, you see, you know, you wear a MAGA hat or you're a white person, you go into a black neighborhood. Sometimes you suck a punch simply because, oh, that's for Trump or this, this, and that. And the reverse, you see what happened in Charlottesville. You see fucking, you know, white people who are very racist towards blacks. You know, they, they just will just have this hatred. It's still here. Sadly, it's not going away anytime soon. But, you know, I will say that, you know, I wasn't alive in the 60s. I wasn't alive, you know, in slavery. But from what I have learned as a kid, seeing what went on at the time, I think we've made some tremendous progress. Did I ever think in my lifetime we would have had a black president? No. You know, remember, and this is something, you know, I'm not telling you how to write your paper, but this is something that you really should really point out that I think would really get you some big time points. Look up the percentage of blacks in the country. Look up the percentage. It is a very small percentage. Now, look at the percentage of whites in the United States. It is an unbelievably high percentage. Now, keep that in mind. And then keep in perspective the fact that Barack Obama was elected president. You can't turn around and say that he was elected president because of the black vote. Sure, he got like 98% of the black vote and deservingly so. But he needed a huge white, you know, um, demographic to vote him in as well. And vote him in twice. So... Racism has come a very long way, and that's one good thing about social media. When you do uh, see signs of racism, people are outed, people are embarrassed, people are exposed, and, you know, it will scare some people straight into, you know, realizing that, you know, we need to all get along, and um, I have every right to live here just as you do and everyone else does. Um but at the same time, though, people have to be really careful of um, bunching a whole group of people in a certain way. Or look, because you voted for Trump, you're a racist, you're a homophobe, you're this, this, and that. You know, that's 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 bad. That's bad. And to see what happened with Smollett, that's disgusting. You see what happened to Charlottesville, it's disgusting. So again, the Michael Griffith tragedy is terrible. And it shouldn't have happened. And, um, you know, what transpired after made it even worse because it labeled a whole town as being racist. I was not from this neighborhood. I moved here 20 years ago to be closer to my office. Um, I didn't live here growing up, but I worked in this neighborhood and I saw, you know, a lot of things go down. But I also saw it on both sides. And, you know, it's a tragedy. But there's uh, a, a ton others out there that are a hell of a lot worse. It's one of the most notorious ones, without a doubt. But um, terrible. So that is your real life part of this episode. And with that, I think I'm going to jet out because there's not a whole lot much going on right now. Plus, I went a little bit longer than I actually expected to. But hey, if you stuck around and you enjoyed it, 
you know, I, I appreciate that. Now, Monday, we'll get into a lot more news. You know, I will let everybody know the details about Lars's injury. You know, there's uh, a lot of different reports going around online. And the funny thing is that there's at least two assholes online right now that are really over-exaggerating his injury simply because they can't stand him from what, you know, the guy wrote online. And sure, what he wrote back then is is inexcusable. But you don't fucking exaggerate and make it look like this guy's going to be out 18 months simply because you don't like him. I'll get all the actual facts and I'll let everybody know. Uh, there's a few other things going on as well. But um, before you know, we'll be here for Monday. So everyone be well. Enjoy the pay-per-view this weekend. Follow me on Twitter at DonTonyD, the website DonTony.com. Email me, DonTony at DonTony.com. Facebook.com slash DTKC show. For anybody who's getting this early tonight, uh, I saw that Wrestling Soup posted online that they were having problems with their Mixler server. For those who listen to them live on Thursdays, they're going to be in dis- on Discord tonight. So uh, if you get a look out for their show live, go to Discord. And speaking of Discord, if you're around Sunday night, five minutes after Stomping Grounds ends, you're welcome to stop by the Discord channel and you could tune in live uh, to hear myself and Kev give the review. Now, look, I'm warning everybody right now. You know, we're not mandatory to do two-hour shows, one-hour shows, 20-minute shows. Our shows should go, you know, as long as they need to. Um, If we have to do 90-minute shows because some people are bored or they just feel like talking, well, then, you know, they need to get their own shows. I'm not, it's not towards Kev. My point is, is that we talk however long is needed. And the reason why I say that is because you go up and down the list, the card for Stomping Grounds. I said it. During the Super Showdown pay-per-view. This is this is like WWE repeat. Like there's so many fucking rematches. And it's so much of it is uninteresting. I can't see why we would go or need to go more than 20 or 30 minutes Sunday to do the recap. But hey, I hope it turns out to be a much better pay-per-view. I hope we have a lot to talk about. But uh, I will get into it as much as it is deemed necessary. So everyone be well, and I will catch you all again with your next Breakfast with Blossie. Two weeks from today, which will be, well, actually two weeks from Wednesday, which will be July 3rd, which is very important because I will be away from July 4th through July 8th or 9th. So it will not affect Breakfast with Blossie in any way. But uh, that'll be the day before I go away. So things will be a little bit hectic over here, but we will have a good show nonetheless. So everyone, take care. Ciao. Support the Don, Tony, and Kevin Castle Show on Patreon. Get access to thousands of hours of back episodes. Get bonus episodes and exclusive shows. Castle Chronicles. Breakfast Soup. Pay-per-view recaps. DVDs. Miracuzzi. Tattoos. Mugs. And more. Support the show that's entertained millions for over 16 years. Patreon.com slash Don Tony. Once again, Patreon.com slash Don Tony. Moon Out with Nevia by Moen, the spa shower that offers double the coverage using about half the water, making it look, sound, and feel totally different. Learn more at moen.com slash Nevia. 
New to Medicare? Start now. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to learn about some of the top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including plans for $0 a month in plan premiums, low out-of-pocket costs, and expansive provider networks. If you're thinking about a Medicare Advantage plan, MyHealthPolicy.com is a great place to go to find a plan that meets your needs. Learn more about your options. Even talk with a licensed insurance agent. MyHealthPolicy.com. 